0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: October 2017. I'm a well rested and relaxed JB along with a well rested and relaxed DJ joining you for this uh, post season edition of the uh, Happy Recap Radio Show. Post season in the sense that it is post the season, not that there's anything whatsoever to do with the post season each and Uh As the post season begins to ramp up with the wild card game yesterday and the other wild card game today, uh, you do start to feel that little pang of, hey, hey we ain't in this this year.
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of it's weird. It's the tale of, of two types of seasons that your your squad can have. And you go through the past two seasons where you you have the Mets fall to the Royals in the World Series and then lose the one-game playoff last year, and you, you end those seasons with just a really a, a feeling of defeat in your mouth, although I think we were a little more excited heading into 16 coming off the World Series appearance. But to have a season like this, which, let's face it, This season ended at Mother's Day weekend. That was when they fell under 500, and I took a poll at that time asking, will they even play another get-back-to-500 game, or as I like to call it, the quest for 500?" and they, in fact, never did. So we've had a lot of months to mourn this season. We've had a lot of months to kind of bemoan the rampant injuries that really just devastated this team this year, and we've had a lot of months to kind of resign ourselves to the fact that yeah, this thing is, has been over for a long time. So it's kind of a bummer, and we've dealt with it a lot as Mets fans, when you have to turn your eye towards the next season when it's still 100 degrees out, and you haven't even celebrated Fourth of July or the All-Star game yet. But we've had a lot of time to do just that, and I guess that's where it's going to come in deep for the listeners of the show that that we have had a lot of time to think about the off season. But uh, it's finally here, and maybe finally we could start getting some more positive news out of the Mets rather than the, the constant Deluge of injuries,
1: and you know the thing too is, I mean, you know, we, we talk about uh, you know that's being dead in the water by uh, you know Mother's Day. I was uh, talking to you, one of our uh, mutual Twitter friends the other day. who started the topic, you know, officially, really, when did the season end? And I, I said, I said, there's two points to me. unofficially, it was one. No one said the guard went down. That was unofficially the end because you lose him for. It's really, really hard to win the division. Certainly, and certainly. You know, be over five hundred team when your best guy is on is on the bench. Uh, but unofficially, it was that time I talked about it ad nauseum on the show leading up to that week, that ten day sprint uh, when you play Chicago and L.A. and D.C. all in you know all of you know, this ten game stretch right through the middle of June. I said if they don't get at least over five hundred on that, they don't even consider them for a 500 season and they proceeded to go three and seven over those 10 games. And that was, that was when for me, the morning truly began. I was like, this is just a lost, wasted season. And the only thing I could look forward to you, know, being a fan on the West coast was knowing, Hey, I'm at least going to get to see these guys uh, play for a couple games in Seattle. And it, from the end of July, I'll be at the team I saw, you know, at the last uh, two, three days of the month of July, was not the team we saw in August, as half the team I saw got traded away. Uh, partially while I was watching them, uh, as Lucas Duda got dealt right at the beginning of that particular series. But uh, yeah, it certainly was a strange season. It was a weird ride, and I think that uh, you know to some extent, uh, you know, after having taken about a two-month break here from the podcast, uh, which I don't, I don't think you have ever, you know, you, we've been through some dark days with this team. I don't think we've taken. Of that length, the entire nearly um, ten-year run of this podcast. But the positive side of it is, despite the crappiness of the team and what kind of drove us into a little bit of a, uh, a bit of our hermitage, if you will, uh, I'm feeling pretty rested, relaxed, and relaxed, and amped up to get this podcast through the winter.
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's the worst thing that a professional sports team could ever have, is having their fans indifferent. And I think that's where, I know I certainly turned this season, and I know a lot of fellow Mets fans have turned, and I've gotten that way about the Mets in the past. And I just look, I look at a team that's completely dead in the water, is making no moves to improve itself, and I say, well, you know, if they're not going to invest themselves into getting my eyes on the TV or getting my butt in the seat, why am I going to invest my time? So you're right. It's been about two months since we broadcast. And honestly, swear to you, in the two months that it's been, I have literally watched. Almost zero Mets baseball. I can tell you total. I watched Dominic Smith's debut, and I I watched Rosario's debut. And beyond that, from the two of them, I think I've seen a combined maybe 12 or 13 at-bats, and that's it. I didn't even watch the game the other day when they had Noah throw that stupid inning. Uh, I read about it, said only the Mets. But, yeah, I I was completely indifferent. I took my summer back. And I'm very interested to see what happens with this team. There's already been a pretty good amount of shakeup. There's already been rumors flying about who's next, who's going to be in what role. There's been a lot of rumors about what the payroll's going to be. And I think this organization is at a really important point for themselves with the fan base. And it's time for them to show, are we, in fact, a team that's going to try to build that team that had so much potential in 2016, and 2015, Or are we now looking at another period of the the early 2000s where we come off some success in 99 and 2000 and then proceed to have some really dark days for five years? And honestly, it can go either way. It all comes down to, I feel like, it all comes down to the two things that we've talked about since the early 2000s, what the office, front office does in the winter, and health. Health is the biggest thing. If this team cannot stay healthy, this team can never win.
1: You know I think too, I mean again
2: you, you know you're you're dealing i mean we've we've had and
1: and I'm sure during the off season we'll have our friend Dr. Solan Perec join us again at, at some point. This is of course his busy time of season because he's basically diagnosing injuries as they happen on the football field during our show. It's a little tougher to get a hold of him during this time of year, but uh, certainly we'll have him with us again, and you know I think that uh you know you know I, I, as I've said to him many times, it's like I'd really like to talk to you less, dr. Perak. But by golly, you, know, you just keep getting reasons and reasons, and you know the reality of it is, is you know, and, and you know most fans, if you don't already know, I mean, you know, I, I can't imagine you haven't received word that Ray Ramirez the Mets trainer, uh, who many, many, many scapegoated over these past couple of years as the singular source of the Mets' woes, and you know, I've I, I've made it clear where my issues lie with that. I'm, I was never pro Ramirez, but I was I was always anti anti Ramirez, if that makes any sense, EJ. Uh, that uh, because I, I just felt like it was coming from a place of ignorance that the average fan doesn't know what a sports trainer does. and You can't really, it's really hard to blame you know a sports trainer for some of the things that go wrong with this team. But they, you know in a everything, there are just some really whacked out injuries. I mean I think for me it's just, you, you just you throw your hands up after the you know, Wilmer Flores takes a foul ball off his own bat in the face. I mean you know that, yeah. it's just one of the, one it was one of the most gruesome things I've ever seen. Uh, and I, it was one of those rare times where I just happened to be. I, I was much like you. I was not watching a whole lot. I was listening to a lot of games. But keep in mind that where I live and, and what I have an hour long commute home during the heart of you know during the heart of a ball game. So I was listening a bit more than I was watching. But I just happened to be watching an inning or two that night and saw that play. And boy, do I wish I hadn't. Uh, but uh, you know, it's certainly. You, it, it's. I think the uh, the term that uh, Fred Wilpon used a number of years ago, and you know everyone kind of laughed off. And, and I think people are now like, maybe there's something to this. Uh, the term was snake bit. Uh, the term I use is cursed. Um, you know, I, I the the types of injuries this team had. I mean, randomly, and there's still never been an explanation. I mean, Brandon Nimmo, who was one of the few bright spots of the last few weeks for the Mets, uh, winds up in the hospital with a collapsed lung, and they still haven't been able to tell what you are, explain to me, I still haven't figured out how in baseball you just randomly get a collapsed lung. There was no collision, no hit by a pitch, no physical injury, and the guy wins up in the hospital, I mean, you know, you have all these weird injuries that it's just impossible to see success, but at the same time, we know with this team, now logic tells you, yeah, okay, some of these are not going to... Flores is not gonna foul off of pitch into his face next year. I mean odds are. I mean, you know, odds are a million to one. Well <laughs> I know, I, if I were if I were a betting man I would bet against those odds. But that's beside that point. The the reality of it is is we've seen how many times the Mets have turned around and All we need is a healthy season from blank. And that goes back that that goes back pre Wilpon. That goes back pre double day. I mean, jeez, you know, it's a tale as old as time with this particular team, Jay, that we're always hoping you know, maybe if Jeffries is healthy next season, or you know, maybe if uh, you know, maybe if Piazza you know is uh, you know slows down his decline. I mean, you know, how many times have we used those lines? If so and so is healthy next year,
2: or so and so has a career year next year, we're golden.
1: No, we're kind of screwed.
2: Yeah, and the problem here is it's not just if so and so has a good year. It's if so and so and so and so because everybody's hurt. Everybody's injured. I mean, I, I looked at a box score the other day, and I thought I was looking at the Yankees. I didn't recognize half the, the guys in, on the lineup. And that's the big problem, that you cannot, and this is my big fear, that they're going to once again use the injuries as the crutch and say, well, we're getting all these guys back healthy, which are like making big moves in free agency, big moves in the winter, and we only feel like we have to tinker. Maybe we just have to add a veteran reliever or a veteran starter. and they just tinker with the team, but they don't make any type of impact moves thinking that they can rely on these guys. And I look at these guys, I look at everybody who's injured, and I look at everybody who has very lengthy injuries this season, all coming back next year, and honestly, at this point, if 50% of them, of the position players play 140 games, and if 50% of the starting pitchers get 20 starts, I'll be absolutely shocked because I have no faith in relying on these guys coming back healthy. I have no faith in Matt Harvey right now at all. I'm not sure what we're going to get. None. No. I have no Syndergaard. I'm not sure what we're going to get out of any of these guys, but the one thing I feel pretty confident about is these guys are going to spend time kind of the disabled list at some point next season.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I have confidence, like I said, I have confidence that Willis-Flores will come back. Although again, after fouling the ball into his, his face, you certainly hope, from a batting standpoint, he's not. It's not like when the uh, yeah, right took one off the helmet a, a couple of years ago, and you know it took him a year or two to kind of you know be able to get you know you know kind of creep up on the plate again. Uh, but uh, you, you look at you look at this team. I mean, I liked what I saw from in the past. Uh, his little his one and two. Any outings, um, he he looked like Noah Syndergaard, which, let's be honest, in all of the times he's come back this season, not I mean, Matt Harvey's had an inning or two of success here or there, but Matt Harvey never looked like Matt Harvey one minute he was on the mound in 2017. So I held up some hope that Noah Syndergaard is fine. Uh, and But the reality of it is you've got Jake DeGrom, who, you know, his only prime this year was getting a last-second stomach flu. I think he's pretty good, and, of course, you know, the yeah. prime of all the crimes, to some Mets fans, and that he cut his hair. Oh, no. But, I mean, and you've got Noah Syndergaard. That's still 40% of your games with a bunch of massive question marks. Zach Wheeler, question mark. Steven Matz, question mark. Robert Gaselman, still don't know what the hell you have in him. Seth Lugo, <laughs> when's his elbow going to fall off? Uh, you know, and, and yeah, the ultimate question of questions, who and what is Matt Harvey, and what can you expect him to bring to the table next year? Because let's also be honest, and not a damn one of them has a single ounce of trade value right now.
2: It's absolutely true. And when you look at them going down the list, I, I've said it before. I'm saying it again. If I'm the Mets, I give heavy consideration into trying to get Matt Harvey to become a relief pitcher. I know Barris would never allow it. I know Matt would never do it. But, look, any time he's gotten to, it seems like a few times I fell him this year, he gets to the third inning, he gets to the fourth inning, and that's when the wheels fell off. It just seems like we are never going to see the Dark night again. You know how I feel about that, but you know, damn, what I wouldn't do to have a Happy Harvey Day and Dark Knight and all that BS come back into the, the regular lexicon of Mets fans because the version that we have right now, I'm I'm kind of even more downtrodden on. Um, I mean, we're and Matt's these guys have these guys have been injured a lot. Matt's more so, but what can you really expect out of either of them? Can Can you ever really consider? The two of them could be 30-game starting pitchers again. I, I personally don't at this point. If one of them is, I'll be very pleasantly surprised. But I can't sit here and pencil either of them in for 25 to 30 starts next season. I think any Mets fan who does is, is for the lack of a better term, is drinking the Kool-Aid at this point. If anything, I consider the two of them to be one pitcher. Maybe the first half of the year with one of them, the second half of the year with the other one, and I'd actually consider that something of a success. And then, like you said, we have no idea what we're having to sell so we have, And Lugo, who knows what his deal is going to be. Really, they have a lot of unanswered question marks. I definitely feel they will pick up some type of veteran, end of the rotation kind of guy. But is that enough to make you a player contender? Absolutely not. And that's not even getting into our position players. You have Michael Conforto, who's arguably the best player on the team. I know uh, Ioannis would, would disagree there. But Conforto, who has this shoulder injury, I mean, it just seems like, you have so many question marks next year, and you can't really – here's where they're handcuffed. They can't go out and get a, pretty much an everyday outfielder thinking, oh, well, this guy might not be – This might not be ready. Or Conforto might be, not be ready. But then what happens if they are ready? Now you've got a log jam in the outfield. So, at best, you can kind of get one of those rotating, smooth outfield guys who can take a few starts if you need them, but then one of these guys goes down like again, you're screwed again. It's just – They're really in a bad situation right now from both a pitching standpoint and a positional standpoint, and really they need to make the decision, do we trust these guys will be healthy, which I don't, or do we go out and try to find replacements for them? And I don't think you should be in a spot where you're trying to replace a Michael Conforto at this place in his career.
1: Yeah, and the thing about it is, too, because of that injury, he, too, has limited, if any, trade value because, obviously, he's hurt. You don't know if the shoulder injury is going to recur. People are going to want to see him healthy before before they take him you know, take him in a trade. And the reality of it is maybe you see him in spring training, but I'm thinking there's a good shot. You don't see Michael Confort until May 1st um, on a big And Yeah, season. I agree. You. And you know, I, I think that you know the reality of it is I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I feel like the Mets probably need – if they're going to sign an outfielder, and it seems like they are going to make an attempt to get an outfielder, I feel like you need to go out and get a right fielder and commit that if Conforto is healthy, um, you're, you're going to play him out of position in center field. If Conforto is not healthy, you have two capable backups, like Ligaris and Demo. They're not, they're not suitable backups for a right fielder, but they're suitable backups for a center fielder. I mean, to me, that seems to be the only real choice you've got to go out and get a corner outfielder uh to to kind of keep things going, especially because inevitably you may just wind up with a situation where you know okay, he's going to fix his uh bar uh uh you know calisthenics program or the weight training uh so that's what I'm referring to here, but this is a guy who fundamentally doesn't take great care of himself when it comes to certain things like. Oh, say, drinking water, which I am told, and many people have been told, he does not like the taste of water. He has a tendency not to drink it. Hence those late-in-the-game cramps he gets that get him pulled out of game because he's, in essence, dehydrated. Uh, you know, you, th- this will continue to be a problem for UNSS, but uh, if anybody has a chance, maybe go out and buy him and send to the stadium some of those nifty drops you can put into flavor water. Maybe that will help him some. I don't know. But the reality of it is, is that uh, you know, in, in looking at this Mets outfield situation, you, you have a team that's you know, as much as we got out of some bad contracts, at least bad contracts in the sense that you know they, they were players past their prime and that you know it was time those contracts ended. Like you know, as valuable as Curtis Granderson was to this team that fourth year, you know, it, it wasn't you know, it's it's the typical fourth year of a veteran contract. It doesn't to to what it should, but uh, you know, a lot of salary has come off the books with this team the past two years Uh, and you know i'm not of the that every one of those pennies has to be invested back in the team to make it a success but you have to spend what you have wisely and the reality of it is, is you're gambling every step of the way if you just try and duct tape and bubble gum this thing back together again and not to say that sandy's planning on doing that I mean, I think he's already sent the message that this is a time of change. I mean, you know, the reality that, uh, you know, all the quote-unquote heads that are rolled and will continue to roll, um, basically it sounds like, you know, half the minor league staff is going to be out of jobs by the end of this as well. Um, that, uh, you know, I, th- I think you're going to see a massive overhaul of this organization from top to bottom. And, you know, the question will be how much money do they get to spend the other side of it, EJ, and, and this is always the tough part of me from a spend wisely standpoint, you look at the free agent market this year, it's not that good. You look at the free agent market next year, it makes you wish they don't spend the money in a way.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. It's rare that you get a good free agent class. and next year is, in fact, as of right now, it looks like it will be a, a pretty promising one. But, I, you know, you, you talk about all the fundamental organizational changes. At this point, though, the guys in charge are still going to be the guys in charge. So if if Sandy's still calling the shots, if Fred's still calling the shots, uh, if they're fighting internally with Jeff, as has been reported, then all the other moves they're making is just reshuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. There's no real change. There's no big change that's going to happen because you're changing the on-field manager. If that manager is still going to be managing the guys who Terry Collins had to manage this year. And and that's really the whole bottom line. It's Up to the front office right now, fine. You want for optics to fire Ray Ramirez? Good. I think that was actually a smart thing to do that needed to be done for years. Prevention and recovery is like seven years removed, and he was still in in, a role. Just for optics alone, he trended on Twitter, for Christ's sakes. What seems trainer trends on Twitter nationally because he was fired? I mean, it just had to happen from a a PR, a witch doctor cleansing of the clubhouse. What, what, What will you so you move, you get rid of him, you get rid of Warren, which that immediately kind of backfires on you a little bit as all the pitchers wanted to go to bat for him instantly. And, you know, I've never been really super critical or given super praise to Dan Warren. I thought he was a very solid, um, average or above-average pitching coach who, much like Terry Collins, he was faced to having these great studs completely breaking down on him over and over again. And he could only work with what he had. I will say that what I saw him do – with Robert Kasselman and Seth Lugo, extremely impressed with him on that regard because I never had either of them pegged to be uh, any type of major league pitcher. Right? So you get rid of Warren, and then you get rid of Collins, which I pretty much time for that to happen. Fine. But if you're telling me that if I could write the lineup for opening day right now and the rotation for opening day right now and pretty much look at it and say, yeah, there's going to be no changes, made, it doesn't matter who the hell you put into the manager's spot. So this is 100% on the front office now. Every offseason, I feel like we come on the show, we do the rap show, and we say this is a very important offseason for Sandy Alderson. Well, this is probably, and I know it sounds like we say this every year, this is the most important off season for Sandy Alderson. This organization is going to go one of two ways for the next few years, and it's up to him and the moves that he makes to guide this organization in what direction it will go.
1: But you know it's one thing too though i have to i i have to offer a couple shout outs here and,
2: and um you know
1: because i i agree with basically i mean i completely agree with um, you know what 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 you're saying which makes for a boring show so i'll 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 throw a few caveats out there just just to be uh just to be edgy and cool uh but um something <laughs> i've never either of but that's okay uh, you know the the one thing is i never thought I'd say this at least we're not the braves. When it comes to dysfunction in the front office, uh, but uh, you know, the the one thing I was really surprised at, and I, I think that uh, you, know, you talk about all the players that that, that stuck up for for Dan Worthen. uh in in talking yesterday about Ray Ramirez, uh, I had a play, a former Met player, and I, I'm perfectly fine identifying him because uh, it was it was all done in public and everyone can see it. Uh, Vic Black, who of course pitched for the Mets back in '13 or '14 um uh, uh, he basically stuck up for Ray Ramirez and you know, said, you know, these things happen. You know, somebody's got a role. But, you know, he basically went out of his way to say how great the Mets, you know, the, all people involved in Mets medical were, uh, which I thought was interesting because, you know, I, I love Vic. Vic is awesome. Unfortunately, Vic is one of those guys that, that guys that's been cursed with a history that means – He has distinct and intimate knowledge of all things medical as he spent a lot of time in the trainer's room during his tenure with us. So I was, I thought that was a really interesting comment that uh, I'll be honest. I wasn't expecting.
2: Yeah. It was interesting to see Vic say that at the same time, I'd like to hear the same thing from say David Wright. I'd like to hear Ike Davis' thoughts on the Mets medical. I'd like to hear Ryan Church's thoughts on Mets and medical. Uh, Rick, Rick was Fortunate enough to have a couple successful rehabs, and, and then unfortunately it wasn't working out for him, but good, good for him for still sticking with it. I mean, he never, he never gave up, he never quit, but he never, although he did have extensive injury history, uh, a lot of it wasn't spent up here with the, with the major league, uh, major league rehab staff and, and Ray Ramirez himself. And also, Ray Ramirez's job as training is not to get guys better from injury. He should more be, be, uh, be about preventing the injury. And that's where I think you talk to a Jose Reyes, a guy who had constant hamstring injuries under Ray Ramirez. And then you talk to all these guys who were allowed to go do this stupid bar program uh, in the off season, And it was all about lifting weights and lifting weights and lifting weights. But I, I definitely think that while Vic's comments were interesting, I'd like to hear from some guys who had to uh, – history of years upon years upon years of injury and who were all looked after under the care of hospital for special surgery, who another optic wise, I would have liked to have seen us disaffiliate ourselves with them. And they it I'd like to hear from the guys who have been injured for going on five to 10 years now on and off with this Mets organization.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the thing about it too is that, um, um, the, um, the the thing that's interesting is, of course, yeah, we have the article this week from Mark Carrick, uh, where you know basically yeah. was a takedown of Terry of Collins and basically you know to an extent uh, you know, the front office uh, dysfunction as well. So we know that there are people out there willing to talk anonymously about situations at the Mets. The thing I have never understood, because I'm completely on page with you, I'm completely 100% tracking with you. Where the hell have those articles been? Why has nobody spoken out? I mean, Ryan Church is really the only person other than maybe Pedro Martinez that I know of that has spoken out on record or off about Mets Medical. That's it. Literally, that's it. And I don't get it. I really just don't. It's the one thing I literally don't understand in this era where people are all too happy to uh, anonymously bitch about whatever that nobody has chosen to do so in this situation because – I think we know our beat reporters know that's a story. That's a story they'd write. And that's not a criticism. Yeah. It's, just, it's a story.
2: It's true. Although I think there is also something of a stigmata about being the uh, anonymous source. A lot of players do not like to be quoted as an anonymous source. Um, I mean, I think the reaction of anybody who's an anonymous source will be fired instantly. It was a little bit, ridiculous because we all know every front office in baseball has anonymous sources. But from a player standpoint, especially guys who are still active in the game, uh, I definitely could see them saying, yeah, not right now. I'm not going to make any statements, but when some of these guys from the call mid 2000 to current day era start retiring, <laughs> I definitely think you might hear some more chirping up and, uh, and their real honest thoughts about Mets radical Cause let's face it, all these guys, who are in baseball, who are currently in baseball, they've got to start thinking about post-career. And if they want to stay in baseball in some capacity, they may not want to burn any bridges. Yeah,
1: you know, and the other thing, too, I mean, you're know, talking about Barwis, and, and certainly, I mean, I think that uh, you know, the, the overwhelming feeling I have there is, again, Barwis is a symptom. He's still not the illness. Uh, I, I think what we really have going on, and I touched on it with one of our conversations with Dr. Breck as well, is that you have this emphasis that really starts in high school with these athletes. Weight training, weight training, weight training. More weights, more weights, more weights. Creative use of weights. Not so much endurance, not so much flexibility as weights, 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 weights. I mean, you look at, look at Noah Syndergaard. He tore his lap this year. Did he spend a minute with Mike Barwitz last offseason? No, he did not. He had his own personal trainer that he hired. What did that focus what was that focus on? Wait, 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 wait. And that's kind of sort 15, of the Fifteen pounds problem. of that's muscle the first
0: in the offseason to
2: be decimated. Hmm. Fifteen pounds of muscle in the offseason. That's when he came back into camp training. Saying, and when he got to yep. train camp, spouting that fifteen pounds of extra muscle. I don't think there was a single Mets fan who wasn't side eyeing each other like, did, did that really need to happen?
1: I was immediately worried about it. I'll be honest. I was 100% worried about it, like,
2: um,
1: hmm, a pitcher with a ton of extra muscle. This could be a – let's just hope it's not. I just pretty much – that was my thought. This could be a uh, – let's just hope it's not. Let's just hope we can, he gets away with it. He's Thor. Let, yep. Let's just hope. And, and of course, he didn't, by any means, get away with it. And, you know, it's, it's kind of the, – the problem is people like Mike Barwis are selling – what everybody was buying already. And I don't, as a result, I, I don't blame Mark Barwitz for trying to make a living. Uh, you know, I, I really, really think that there are a lot of athletes inside and outside the New York Mets organization in Major League Baseball that are seriously compromising their careers and their potential because they are wrongly focused on how they prepare to hit the field. And I think you know, when you look at specifically at Mike Barwitz and just the people he worked with, you don't need to look any further to, and I hate to say it because I've been rooting for him all the way, but Dom Smith, that was not a prepared individual that last month. That is not somebody who spent the entire season getting ready to AAA. He did not look ready at all. He was, he was hyped, and I saw I, we, we followed him through the, from the minute. He was on the show the week he was drafted. We followed him all the way up. He projected a John Oldwood-type hitter, uh, maybe with a little more pop, and John Oldrood style defense. What we got was a poor defensive version of a poor man's Lucas Duda that last season. Now, that's not to say that he can't change and he can't grow and he can't become who he's supposed to be. The kid's still only 22. I'm not dismissing that possibility, and nor am I even remotely giving up on him. But with a, you know with another uh, with another first baseman just about a year behind him at this point, he doesn't have much time to prove himself. And the reality of it is, is you know, you keep playing the game he's the way that, the way he's playing it at this point. Uh, he's going to ruin himself if he keeps this up.
2: Well, and I think that goes to the crux of Sandy saying that we're basically going you know, to mute the entire Vegas staff. I think when Sandy said he wasn't happy with the readiness of some of these kids when they got up and the conditioning of some of them when they got up. I think that's directly who he was thinking about. And uh, it's funny, you know, we, we haven't heard the uh, church of Backing disciples chirp up since he was fired in Mexico, but I think they actually may have a little bit of a claim here where they're saying that that's something that never would have happened under Wally's watch, that a, a guy would be called up from AAA and be unprepared for the majors. Uh, for, for all of his struggles, I think the one thing that Wally did do is he did get guys ready to play at the major league level and probably could have had Dom a little bit more prepared for, uh, for, this, for this final month of the season and, and properly conditioned. But that said, I do think whoever they install down in Vegas is going to be, uh, is going to be a much different voice and will hopefully have a much greater effectiveness in getting these kids ready to, to come help out the big squad yeah
1: i th- I think you're going to see a complete overhaul and i i, I unfortunately I think that means the one guy I thought who was going to eventually wind up on the major league staff and Frank Viola very well may find himself outside the organization. That certainly seems to be one of the the kind of hints that are coming through the grapevine at least through several of the writers as he is you know, from what I understand not being considered for the, the pitching coach position uh but uh with the majors but uh, the the reality of it is is that what I saw from the Fifty ones this year because I get to see them a couple of games every year. Uh, what I saw from them was there was a, definitely a different change in the culture. And I am listen. I'm, I'm not a, I'm a Wally the ballplayer fan. I'm not a fan of Wally the manager. But I think the one difference is Wally came with a fundamental understanding as a former ball former major league ballplayer. Something that Pedro Lopez he's a good strategic mind. Uh, a good baseball mind, he, he was never that big league player. And you have, you have a, a coaching staff that, you know, realistically, Frank Viola was the major league veteran of the bunch. Uh, well, that, that helps the pitchers out. Great, no problem. But, you know, where does that leave everybody else? And so I think you have a team that really didn't necessarily – it was a very young team. There wasn't a whole lot of even former major league talent on the team. Uh, I think you had a team that really didn't kind of understand at Vegas what it meant to be a big league and what they were striving to do. And I really think that that's a lot of the reason. I, I think we are now seeing a lot of the reason and, that fans were so disconcerting this, off, this, this season why Amanda Rosario and Dominic Smith took so long to arrive in Flushing. It, it wasn't necessary. It, it was that they literally weren't ready, and but they weren't, and so they waited as long as they possibly could. And I don't know, yeah. EJ, am I off on that one? Do, do, does that seem to no. be an adequate explanation of what you think happened here?
2: Yeah, I think it's exactly what happened. I think they weren't ready. They didn't want to push them. I'm not entirely sure if they they were prepared to call them up when they did at this point. Uh, given what we've seen. But they did it because I think they needed to get a sense of what the future holds for those two super prospects. And I think they're going to spend a lot of time both this off season, and spring, probably hopefully getting some of the veterans on the team to take on mentorship roles to these guys to make sure that this doesn't happen again with those two in particular. And I think the squad that you see in Vegas will be making sure in the future that any super specs or just any spec, that comes up to the big team and is trying to make an impact, will have the tools at his uh, handle and he'll he'll be ready to go and he'll be ready to contribute in a positive way and keep his head mostly in the game and in the clubhouse and doing everything the right way. I think we saw a bit of a hiccup that we haven't seen. The one thing this organization has done well for even the darkest days that we've had over the past decade plus is we've never seen – a fundamental collapse of the organization at the minor league level. We've always had a minor league system, even for got winning, a minor league system that hasn't been somewhat of a negative for the entire franchise. And this is the first time we've saw that, but I do like that they're being reactionary and they said, you know what? Wholesale changes needed to be made. Wholesale changes are going to be made. That, uh, that's something the Mets have been most to do over the years where a lot of times they let things ride out and ride out and ride out that never get better. Well, in this case, they said they identified the problem, they crossed it off and they're hopefully going to remedy it properly.
1: Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of the things that registers is most important to me. It's really kind of interesting. It just kind of shows that, you know, the level of baseball nerds that we are in, you know, and that I'm almost as curious as to who they hire to staff, you know, specifically, you know, double A and triple A next year as I am to see who this staff at the major league level coaching wise as well. Um, Before we wrap up, obviously, you know, the the search is just beginning on the managerial front. Uh, We've heard, you know, probably about a dozen names tossed around as probable candidates. Um, Any early, uh, any early names out there that uh, you find particularly attractive and or unattractive?
2: I mean, Kevin Long sounds like he's the initial leader in the clubhouse. I wouldn't hate that move. Um, I mean, he's been with the team. He can obviously handle New York, and that's something you need to account for for the next manager. We've seen guys come in here looking at you, Art, Howe, who are grossly underprepared for handling the, the crush that is the New York media, and that's definitely something that the next manager is going to have to deal with, and that's something that Kevin Long's already dealt with for a better part of a, almost a decade. So, I would get that, but, I mean, it might just be the Mets fan in me. It, it might just be the complete homer in me or just it was, he was part of my all-time favorite Mets team. When I heard Robin Mentor's name floated out there, I, I can't help it. I, I gig it a little bit. But I, that would, I know he's, he's had some, some managerial hiccups. He's had some managerial successes. But I mean, that's the name that I was just like, come on home, Robin. And it just, it felt right when I first heard that name, I doubt, highly doubt it's going to happen. But if it did, I would be, uh, I would be one happy kid.
1: You know, the, the, it's funny. The, I always say that, uh, you know, that the, the one guy I go into wanting is, is usually the one guy that winds up not even being considered. And the last few times that I've actually, I've actually turned out to wind up having somebody that gets into the running and gets pretty far. And but. uh, uh, you know, last time I was not a Terry Collins guy. I, I, was, I was a full-on Clint Hurdle guy in, in that scenario. Um, and uh, the uh, – I'm sorry, much I love Clint. He couldn't have won with this team either, for that matter, let's be honest. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the guy that I've kind of had my eye on as far as being a, a good choice for this team when the Mets eventually moved on from Terry Collins for three or four years now has been uh, Joe McEwing. And his name is in the ring and has been mentioned several times as a potential candidate. Uh, That's somebody that Terry will want to speak to. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the fact that he, you know, he is a former man and on that very, you know, on that very same era teams with, with Ventura and also Ventura's bench coach, um, for his, his, uh, White Sox tenure as well. Um, still on the bench, in fact, for them, the, um, the reality of it is I'm I'm with you. So far, there has not been a name that has made me go, oh, God, no, not them, anybody but them. Uh, Nobody has, you know, even remotely brought up the the Dick Scots of the world um, who, you know, will likely land in another organization or not on the major league staff as he's still technically employed by the Mets but been told basically, feel free to go look for a job while we look for a manager. Uh, That's, that's yeah, that's not what I would call resounding job confidence by any means whatsoever. Especially because, quite honestly, when they brought him in, I thought, "Oh, so that's Terry's heir apparent." Okay, uh, and uh, you know, even you know, even the you know the Bob Garans of the world, who are not um, what I would call a sexy name by any stretch, can handle New York. We know they they know how to deal with New York. They know how to deal with this particular organization. And the fact of the matter is, the Mets were better under Garin as bench coach than they ever were with Dick Scott. And more than a few people have hinted that you know. Bob Guerin was a communications conduit that vanished uh, and was not replaced when he left the team. So even a name like that doesn't bother me so much. I admit, I am hearing the Robin Ventura name, you go, ooh, I kind of like that. Uh, But, you know, the the nice thing is it's one of those times where I don't feel like there's a ton of candidates in there going, oh, there's only one or two good names in there. Please choose the right guy, guys. This seems to be a really good crop of potential managers. And, you know, while I'm not of the ilk that, you know, oh, my gosh, it must be a former Met player. Let's honor the 86 Met. Let's make sure it's an 86 Met or something like that. It, it's more, for me, it's more, no, being a former Met tells me you can handle New York. I mean, just as being a former Yankee tells me you can handle New York. I mean, you know, that's that. it's just about being able to handle this particular town. If you know, Alex Cora, for example, had never played for the Mets, never played in New York, I would be far more hesitant that he was a potential candidate than the fact that he did play here. Uh, it really does add a level of credibility, not because it's an organizational, uh, you know, squeeze on the butt. It, it's it's completely the opposite in that it has to do with being able to handle the media market.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. McEwing and Cora were both guys, that during their playing days, it kind of sounded like they were uh... – when their playing days were over, they were basically going to step out of that uniform and step right into a managerial uniform because it just seemed like for their entire careers, everybody knew what cerebral players they were and uh, that they had a a future leading players in baseball. So, like you said, no candidate that I hate. Uh, Really am liking the lack of the recycled old boys club, not that Ventura is a spring chicken at this point, but it, it just, we're staying away from... And, and no offense to him being the oldest manager in baseball, but to stay with the Terry Collins era of managers, guys who have been around for the 30 or 40 years and have just been recycled over and over again. It sounds like even if we get a guy with some experience, it's going to definitely be a fresh voice, particularly for the Mets. I mean, you look at the managers that we've had. Yeah, Willie was young, but Willie had been around in New York since the 70s. So it, it just felt like he was always here. So it's, your Jerry Manuals, your Art Hound, your Willie Randolph, your Terry Collins, it just sounds like we're moving away from that era and moving to the next generation. And that's who our candidates, that's the pool our candidate will come from. And that's got to be exciting for a Mets fan. Like you said, is it requirement for me that he has Mets ties? No. But I think myself, yourself, and a whole lot of Mets fans who might be a bit cynical about their, uh, their future right now would probably just at least go kind of good if it does turn out to be a a super Joe or a Robin or somebody who was part of a, a pretty great time in that's history.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as,
2: as we get, as we
1: move forward here, at EJ, we've of course got the postseason going on. I suspect uh, for the month of October, we'll be kind of a, as things develop, we'll pop out a podcast. If, if there's a managerial appointment or something like that, we'll certainly do that, but uh, return to fairly normal programming in November, working on some great guests already uh, for for the uh, month of November you know, as we head, uh, head towards the hot snow season, but uh, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to, kind of hoping it's a quiet month, I can enjoy some good baseball before it goes away, and honestly, not have to talk about it.
2: Well, I would be remiss, though, if I didn't get it from you. I mean, obviously we know the Yankees are in. What's your prediction? Give me the series.
1: Boy, you know, I tell you, uh, I, I you know, I, I feel like... Uh, the National League is a lot harder to call than the, uh, the American League. And I, I still am amazed how many people just part blanche are calling the Nats over the Cubs. And I'm just like, I don't know how you can make call with how dangerous the Cubs are in a short series against a team that, you know, let's be honest, we saw last night what a superior bullpen can do. Um, yep, I would not say the Nats have a superior bullpen. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, – I think to some extent, I think the Diamondbacks are a bit of a team of destiny. I think that they they win the the, the uh, wild card. Uh, I do think the Cubs topple the uh, Nats. I think it takes five games, but I think they do it. Um, the uh, you know, as far as the, the, the rest of it, I, you know, I, the Dodgers seemed like the team of destiny, but they so far, you know, they pretty much backed into the. The uh, playoffs. Yep. I think they find that spark. I think they wind up coming out of the National League. I think your National League representative is the Dodgers. Um, I think the American League. I think it's going to come down to the Indians and the Astros. And I, I just think after their their August and September, that the Indians cannot be denied and will not be denied after last year. Um, I, I think that uh, I think you see a Dodgers Indians World Series, and I think the Indians sweep.
2: Wow. Okay, that's pretty bold to to call for to call for the sweep there. So I'm a little bit different than you. I, the I, I fact think that... they
1: are just that hungry. I think they are just that hungry, and I think the only chance the Dodgers have of winning any games the one or two games they can get the Kershaw out into the bound, depending on how that plays out, you know, how the rotations play out.
2: Yeah, definitely going to be an important factor. Is uh, he really is kind of an X factor in any series that he's going to be pitching in? For me, I I and, and, you totally know, agree and, and with you. And, and
1: you look at the Nats too. I mean, Scherzer's a question mark. I mean, how how do you pre- you know how do you still predict the Nats? You know, when Scherzer, you're going to have to keep an eye on him in the playoffs because you know hammies are hammies.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. You get one of those real cold October nights with the wind whipping. You never know what could could be a tweak to Scherzer. You're absolutely right. I uh, I agree with you from the American League standpoint. I do believe the Indians are a team of destiny. I do believe the Astros are going to give them everything they have to handle. I actually kind of feel like the ALCS of those two could be more competitive than the World Series ends up being. I think that I could actually be a gr- I think that could be a great baseball series. Like I, I'm a, if I get to knock that series, I'm going to feel bummed. If the Yankees screw this for me, I'm going to be mad. Um, so. I definitely think I have the Indians coming out there. As far as the National League, I agree with everything you said about the Nats. I don't understand how they have been anointed, as it is just they're the team of destiny. I don't, I don't see it now. I see they have, yes, they are Scherzer. Like you said, he could be injured, but I'm sitting there and like you said, you had mentioned them. I look over at the Cubs and I look at the Dodgers and I see one team, like you said, that's so badly stumbled into the playoffs. They were a team that was on pace to break records the way that they were rolling. And then it was just like somebody turned out the, the cold water on them. And I don't know if they can really get themselves back up to the level that they were playing earlier in the summer. So I actually have, I have the Cubs coming out of the national league. I just think that they are built right now to take down, take down series in a short amount of games and really put backs to the wall. I like their bullpen. I like what they have coming off the bench. I personally, I have the Cubs and Indians, which I think would be a really fun World Series. Uh, geographically, it would be fun. I think, uh, I think that nationally, they would get, definitely get eyeballs on TV, not just for the Cubs, but the Indians are a fun team to watch too. I think coming off hopefully a great ALCS and hopefully a good NLCS, I think that this has a, a real good shot in the arm for baseball this postseason. But ultimately, like you, I have the Indians winning, beating the Cubs, but I have it going six games.
1: You know, I think – and to give you an idea, I mean, I think in both scenarios, I do think that the LCSs could be the the better of the series over the World Series. In coming up with my Dodgers coming up, it was 51-49. It was so damn close yeah. between the Dodgers <laughs> and the Cubs. Uh, I, I really could have gone either way, but at the end, I just, like, you know what? I, I, just, I just feel – that, uh, that they just have a little bit extra, but it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me one iota uh, to be wrong about that. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the reality of it is, it's like, you know, and, and who wouldn't, I mean, that's the other side of it. Who wouldn't, after that game seven last year, who wouldn't want to sign up for a potential seven more between those two teams? Who wouldn't oh, absolutely. as a baseball fan? Who would not want to sign I know I'm a baseball fan. That was one of the most riveting games not involving my team I've ever watched. The only one in my mind that kind of compares, oddly enough, another Game 7 extra inning game was 91 with the Braves and Twins. That's the only other one I can think of that was quite as as riveting that didn't involve one of my teams. Uh, But for me, it's, you know, I I think there's some good stories coming out of this, you know, if if I'm wrong about the Indians, I don't think I'd argue seeing the Astros. I mean, Astros in the World Series is not going to bother me. That's, I mean, I'm very interested to see the culmination of their efforts down there, and not just because I think Houston could, yeah, you know, quite frankly, Houston could use the morale boost. I mean, but it's also the, uh, you know, the reality that uh, you know that is an organization that's been in my mind built correctly. Um, they really scraped everything down to the bare bones, you know, to the point that they had three number one draft picks in a row. And mind you, here they are near the pinnacle of baseball, and only one of those three no- top number one picks had panned out for them. One didn't yep. even make it to the majors with the team, and one didn't sign. So you know, you you have a, a very interesting situation with the Astros. That uh, you know they have done the most with what they had, and then some. And that's kind of the that's kind of the key: do the most you have you, know, you can with what you get. You know, like I want to see the Mets do well this next year, but I also want to see them spend a lot of time and effort on what that number six pick is going to be. Uh, we don't need another Philip Umber. Sorry, Phil, wherever you are. Uh, but you, know, you, you need somebody in that, that's going to be your next you know, healthy version of Matt Harvey, your next David Wright, your next you know, who, you know, whoever you want. to you know, Basically, you, you need to draft an all-star caliber player at number six in a draft. You need to be drafting for the all-star team. Um, and not to change, you know, going back to the topic, you know, just, again, do the best with what you have and then build from there and add in. I mean, geez, God, I mean, this team, and just randomly at the, you know, at the second trade deadline, just, oh, yeah, we got Justin Verlander. It's like, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and they have him under control for multiple years. I mean, th- this is not a rental player at all. They're going to have Justin Verlander next year.
0: I mean, you know, yeah. it's,
1: that's the cool thing. You have a lot of teams, with the exception of the Nats, who really only have one more year left in this window. You have a lot of teams that are just entering their window with, the, with, with this playoffs. And that's what's kind of really exciting. The, the Rockies, I mean, they're, 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 you know, they're, they're the Rockies. The Diamondbacks are a young team. The, the Dodgers are the endless—you know—they'll always be the young team because they've got an endless supply of cash. Uh, but the—you know—the one—the one veteran team there that's going to be pretty much decimated after next off season is the Nats. You know, maybe yep. that's why they're being picked—you um, know—as a sentimental thing. Like, let's get Bryce Harper and uh, and and Daniel Murphy their rings before they shuffle off somewhere else in a year. I don't know. But at the end of the day, I think you're, you know. I think you and I both equally have a chance of being right. And honestly, I'm fine either
2: way. Yeah, me too. I we always say when the Mets are eliminated, we just want to see some good baseball in the postseason. And I think the way this postseason is going to be set up, I think you can see some very quick first rounds. But I think the uh, like we've said, the championship series and the World Series, these definitely have potential to be great, fascinating, riveting baseball all following up on what was a great postseason last year. And it, it just, it'll be a good time for baseball fans. And, and hopefully the uh, the Mets front office is watching very intently. As somebody is crowned champion once again, and, and it reignites the fire in their bellies to, to make that happen in Queens.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. And and certainly, like I said, we'll continue to follow it. Uh, we'll be a little spotty this month uh, as we make it through the playoffs, but uh, should anything of significance develop this month, uh, we'll certainly join you. Otherwise, uh, let, let's plan on doing this uh, on the, the first Sunday of November and uh, get back in the habit.
2: Sounds like a good plan to me, my friend. Unless, of course, I'd love to do one, one of those emergency pop-up shows because the, the Mets are something amazing.
1: I, I'm okay with that, too. We'll, we'll certainly see. I think it's certainly, a, you know, they say the managerial search could go into November, but I have a feeling it's not going to. So I, I think we'll at least have a pop-up show at some point this month but uh, we'll just play it by ear. And, uh, of course, uh, you know where to find us online. You can find EJ at The the Happy Recap. You can find me at The Real Who. You can find Ryan, who hopefully will be rejoining us here this winter uh, as he's completed his educational things that have kept him away the past season or so. Uh, You can find him at Big Country Griff. You can, of course, find us on Facebook. Uh, Just look us up at The Happy Recap and uh, follow our group there. And uh, until uh, the next time, each and every one of you, let's go Nets.